Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Doors of Deception on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, We have for you tonight our guest, who is author William Ramsey, and he is the author of the book um, Prophet of Evil, and it's a book about Aleister Crowley and the cult connections of um, Aleister Crowley to 9-11 and the New World Order. Um, The actual long title of the book is um, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. Order. Anyway, um, so William will be joining us in a little bit. Um, So I'd like to just uh, take a few moments to welcome all of you here and to tell you a little bit about something really, really bizarre that uh, happened to me on Saturday night, uh, which is just a, um, actually another example of how um, once, you're, once you once um, you are sealed and protected um, by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that nothing that the enemy has, any power of the enemy, um, will not be able to harm you by any means. Saturday night, I was cooking dinner, and um, all of a sudden, my 
kitchen looked like someone had turned on a welding machine. There was a bright, brilliant flash of light, and sparks were flying everywhere. And I jumped back from the pan that I was stirring, and luckily my husband was standing, or fortunately, scratch that word, um, fortunately my husband was standing right there because he would have never believed it. Well, he goes over and tries to grab the pan, and it won't come off the burner. So he yanks it. And then we see this Aju running all over the stove and he tosses the pan in the sink and starts mopping up the Aju and grabs the pan and looks at it. And literally the pan was welded to the burner of the stove. And there's a, there's a hole in the pan and there's a big melted mark right in the metal coil of the burner. And I'm standing there and I am just like, like in total awe that 220 volts just didn't go, you know, rushing through my system. <laughs> so anyway, um, wow, the the angels of protection were surrounding me for sure. And again, I had a witness because <laughs> if I would have told my husband the kitchen looked like someone had turned on a welding machine and there were sparks flying everywhere and then the pan welded itself to the burner, he would have went, um, yeah okay, honey, I think you better go sit down for a minute. Anyway, so that's my harrowing story <laughs> of the week. Pretty bizarre. Anyway, um, I do believe that uh, William is with us, so let me see if I can bring him on here. Hello, is this William Ramsey? It is. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I do. I hear you very well. Excellent. Welcome to Doors of Deception Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I've been very excited uh, to have you on as a guest. Uh, I had the opportunity last August while I was uh, on vacation I did take a little bit of a break one night for for a couple of hours to listen to L.A. Marzulli's show the night that he had you on. And I was absolutely riveted, uh, the research and everything that you did on Aleister Crowley. I'm a um, uh, recovering, healed, and delivered former occultist myself, so I knew some of... Crowley, uh, I didn't stay with Crowley too long because um, he even to me seemed like a very nasty man. And um, so I pretty much uh, left that for other things. But um, I appreciate the information that you, you sent me. I learned some things about Crowley that I didn't know before. So um, would you like to uh, tell me? Go ahead and tell tell us what uh, you uncovered about Alistair Crowley. Great, yeah, I uh, I was uh, the person who was not very knowledgeable about the occult. I had probably very topical understanding, uh, but I was uh, very much of an in depth researcher into nine eleven, and I kept seeing these numbers. And over time, I, the repetition of these numbers, and I kept seeing them outside of even the the elements of nine eleven, and I, I was really trying to figure out what they meant. And uh, one of the main numbers was September 11th that happened on the 11th, and uh, there was a flight 11, and I, I started researching, and my researching into the occult, I really read as much of these books as I could, and they led me back pretty much to Crowley. Uh, 93, 77, and 11 are really high satanic numbers. If not 11, it may be the master number. And so that even led me into more research into Aleister Crowley and his life, 
and what these people are really like, because I really didn't know much about black magicians. So uh, that led me to read even more, and I recognized how important a figure Crowley was in uh, the Western world and to 9-11 and this kind of what we call the New World Order, that his ideas and his experiences have definitely permeated this new reorganization of the world and uh, were, an, to my, in my opinion, an instrumental and uh, significant part of the 9-11 event. So uh, what it led me to do is really write a book. So I really read all of his stuff. He was addicted to reading and writing. He thought of himself as literateur. He never really had to work. He was uh, fortunate enough to inherit a significant amount of money. And he also lived at the real apex of the English empire, uh, the late 19th century when the sun never set on England. And he was able to world travel and really see and experience a lot of uh, other type of religious or religions like Hinduism, Buddhism. And he compiled that and pretty much made his own religion uh, in his life, and he called it basically the religion of Philema or the will. And he was a member of a wide variety of secret organizations as well. So Crowley is a very significant person, and for me it was a real eye-opener, and that's why I wrote my book. Uh, some of the esoteric organizations, what were some of them? Well, he started out, uh, really got interested. When he was younger, he was privileged enough to go to the best uh, best schools in England at the time, and he went to Cambridge, and while he was at Cambridge, he became interested in the occult and heard about a secret society called the Golden Dawn, and that was really how he started off was this uh, very significant society of magicians in uh, England, in London, and uh, they were all 33rd degree masons and beyond. They basically were people who had gone through the whole process of masonry and decided to go even farther, and Crowley modeled a lot of his life upon his influences from there. One of the main influences was uh, McGregor Mathers, who uh, had a temple also in London and in Paris. And these were kind of like the turn of the century, kind of golden epoch, this kind of cultural uh, flowering that was taking place in Europe at the time. And uh, so Crowley went from the Golden Dawn to uh, passing through all the degrees of masonry, 33 degrees. He also started his own magical fraternity called the AA. Uh, Astrum Argentum, which is basically the silver star of the moon. And then he also became the head of a really particularly nasty satanic organization called the OTO, which was a German secret society. Order, it's the Order of Oriental Templars or Ordo Templi Orientis. Uh, and he became its head and, and was its head until, uh, it's, uh, until he died in 1947. Wow. I never knew that the OTO was a German order. Yes. It, re that... it originally started in, in Germany with a bunch of people who were also 33rd degree Masons. So it was a lot like the Golden Dawn. Right. Um, and I had looked very seriously at um, sending in an application letter to the Golden Dawn at one time. Whew. Anyway, um, glad I didn't do that. But um, I always was r real, you know, I'm sort of a, you know, I don't like to just take anything that anyone tells me and just swallow it hook, line, and sinker and, you know, do as I'm told, so to speak. I mean, you know, I, I'm obedient to the, you know, to the Lord. But other than that, you know, I, I, I'm not just going to take anybody's stuff. So, I, you know, that saved me from actually trying to join any of these formal 
formal institutions. So anyway, I mean, the Golden Dawn had just started um, admitting women, I think. Gosh, when, what, do you know? I think it was like the early 70s. But Yeah, I'm not familiar. It's my understanding that Golden Dawn did have female members back in the 19th century. Oh, they did. Kind of like, uh, well, Blavatsky ended up becoming a 33rd uh, degree Mason, which is almost unheard of for women. They usually, you know, route the women over to the Eastern Star uh, organization. So anyway, um, yeah. Uh, Now, the I know he had a very unusual, paradoxical childhood. So let's go let's go backwards a little bit. He his his family, his father and his mother were a very strict fundamentalist sect of Christians, but yet they earned their living because they owned a brewery. Right. That is an interesting paradox because he uh he grew up in a fundamentalist non drinking family who made its money from chairs and a brewery. And uh, they sold sandwiches and beer throughout England. And it made them enough money in, in today's terms. When Crowley's father died, they said he inherited uh, a modern equivalent of $20 million. So it was very yeah, it was very significant, even from back then. And Crowley li- uh, lived his life with a lot of panache. He spent his money. He really had no, uh, he was, no financial skills. He ran through most of his inheritance by the time he was 40. But uh, if he would have spent it wisely... He could have lived a very comfortable life this whole life. Right. I, I know um, the stuff you sent me, there was a little um, little blurb uh, that he had uh, said something about he was never taught the, you know, he was always, you know, all I'm going to paraphrase here, raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. I mean, he was, it, you know, raised to expect every luxury and every whim that he, you know, he had private tutors and then, um that sort of thing, and and like you said, went to the best schools, very wealthy. Um, he was never taught anything about how that money came into the, you know, into the, you know, into his family or how to earn it or anything like that. So yeah, consequently, he burned through what the equivalent of twenty million dollars by the time he was forty, and um, that is quite wow. That's quite something. That's spending money like water, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, and you know, he spent everything when he wrote his books. Once he started really writing his poetry, his books, he, he spent money on the best uh, book materials. He never skimped on it. He had the best, you know, uh, vellum, which is basically animal skins. Mm-hmm. He uh, spent money on clothes. He was used to just calling his uncle and asking for money. So he really had no concept of a good hard day's work. And he actually never worked a hard day in his life. He never actually had a job. Uh, right. He spent, you know, once he ran out of his money, he basically was uh a parasite on his followers and really expected to be taken care of. And people sent him money uh, up until the day he died. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, I understand that um, uh, again, from the material that you sent me that there isn't a publisher today that would um, take especially white stains and publish it uh, publicly. It would Today even would have to go to an underground um, self-printing would probably only be sold in seedy, you know, books, you know, pornographic yes. bookstores and places like that, right? Agreed. Yeah, and he um, he took great pains to, or great efforts to disguise his real the real 
uh, authorship of some of these books. Uh, now, looking back, it was easy to trace it because people have done the research, but, you know, these were all written under pseudonyms, um, and the, you know, they were paid for by Crowley, and they were produced by the smallest publishing houses uh, out there, but there was, you know, seemingly a demand for them in their small printing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they were uh, they're particularly vicious, and some of this poetry is of the most vile stripe. Uh, yeah, I uh, I noticed that. <laughs> um, that's you know I think that's too why I you know quit, didn't didn't spend much time um, you know I I looked over you know some of it some of his some of his work and and didn't really because I had also from what I understood he veiled um, or left out a lot of the pertinent information that is actually required to do. Um, a lot of the the rituals that he himself practiced and did and things like that, and there's reasons for that because as you move up the esoteric order, they they give you more and more responsibility, and then you would then understand what was encoded in his work and that sort of thing. And you found that to be true as well. Absolutely, he used something called blinds, where he mm-hmm. would uh, intentionally omit uh, relevant parts, and he also kind of aped. He had a very perverse mentality, so he aped Christian terms but meant them in a satanic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called Satan his lord, so people could uh, misinterpret that as being from some kind of Christian background, but uh, he was talking about his lord and master, who was the uh, the devil. And uh, he definitely hid a lot of his meanings in a deep jargon. He uh, He's a very clever person, and he was able to really fashion a lot of these rituals and things uh that take a lot of time to really understand what he was saying. So uh, mm-hmm. there were barriers to definitely entering and, and understanding his uh, esoteric principles. Right. Um, like, uh, you know, one of them that I've heard of was the, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but uh, the Alamantra, Alamantra? Right, the Alamantra Working, which was in 1918. Was, and uh, what was that all about? Well, Basically, Crowley was one of those people, when he did rituals, sometimes he would try to do them for effect, but they wouldn't take place in one day or one hour. They would take place over time to get the results. And one was called the Alamantra Working. He also did um, another one in his house in Bulliskin Manor, very far north of uh, England or in Scotland, on the Loch Ness. It was called the, uh, oh, Lord, I can't remember the name of it. But basically, these would take place The Isle of Man, right? Uh, no, it was very far north. The Loch Ness is very far north. He had a property up there that he did. Oh, okay. A, uh, the six, the Abermelon working, excuse me. But the Alamantra, yeah, Abermelon. Okay. The, the mantra working uh, resulted in a variety of different occurrences. One was the, apparently he spoke with this uh, discarnate entity by the name of Lamb that he has a drawing of. Mm. And it looks almost exactly gray alien. Uh, form even before the whole UFO kind of uh, craze, he uh, had a contact with this being as a great alien, and, and there's an interesting element to that because one of Crowley's followers said that uh, this alien lamb that he called that Crowley called Lamb was a uh, a disguise of Awas, who was this chief demon that uh, dictated the Book of the Law to Crowley. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's some very deep. Uh, spiritual events that happened with Crowley. They were evil spirits, but, uh, you know, this Alamantra working was just one of those, one of those workings that he did. 
Mm-hmm. I've noticed that Lamb um, and the the new cartoon or animated, um, it's not exactly animated, but uh, there was a kids movie that just came out this last year called Megamind. That main character in yep. Megamind looks frighteningly identical to Lamb. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I know that all of his rituals involved some sort of sex magic. Um, uh, is I mean, is that, did all of them, or, I mean, it seemed like well, that was one of the elements. It's interesting that Crowley came in, you know, he developed over time. He uh, got involved in these different programs, such as the Golden Dawn Initiatory Program and uh, the uh, Masons, you know, the Masonic Orders, but these did not involve drugs or sexual activity. What Crowley began to experiment with was the use of drugs in his rituals, and then use of drugs and sex, and uh, so that was his, he thought that they were more powerful and uh, more effective if he added those two elements to his rituals, and that was one of the reasons why the OTO came and talked to Crowley uh, initially, was that they thought Crowley had actually stole their secret rituals, uh, but they had come to the same conclusions about ritual magic was the inclusion of sexual practices in these uh, rituals, so that was why the Crowley and the OTO uh, basically melded together is because they were both had the same kind of uh, discoveries, I guess. Mm-hmm. And from that time, it was, I was sex magic all the way for the rest of Crowley's life. Right. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's really interesting because um, my studies, you know – and I even hate to say this because Crowley was so disgusting and so perverted, but uh, there is something to be said about that. In fact, one of the very first magic books I read um, equated, they had a a name for the energy released during orgasm, and they called it organ. And it's Hmm. what makes the sky blue. Well, then now flash forward, you know, a hundred years or something and you have Wilhelm Reich working on this rever- you know these ion things and he's producing this thing called you know or this organ this cloud cloud buster which is really funny because he's making the sky blue you know he's busting up the clouds and making the sky blue and then now they there's people that make this stuff called organite but back where I came from when I first started studying magic that was the that was the power behind a manifestation it was organ, and that was a that was the the sexual energy. So I just find out find that very interesting how it jumped from being an you know an esoteric you know powerhouse to a piece of plastic that you bury in your yard and it makes clouds go away. I don't know. <laughs> Seems yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, it is interesting. No. Uh, um, weird action. Yeah, very weird. Uh so now he had um oh and you're you are also you're working on your um your next book that are gonna that's gonna be called The Children of the Beast. Is that still kind of the working title? I think so, yeah. Children of the Disciples of Alistair Crowley. So I'll show his influence in our modern culture and how many people that he has actually uh you know, influenced, which is I think a very long list of people who 
you know, follow him. One is uh, Jack Parsons, Charles Manson, L. Ron Hubbard, Timothy Leary, other members. You know, it just goes on. Even Ian Fleming, who wrote James Bond, right. Oliver Stone, Kubrick, I mean, Bruckheimer, all these people who are important elements of our society have uh, are either straight-up followers or have been influenced by Crowley. The Beatles... They put a picture of him and, and the rest of their influential people on the picture of Sergeant Pepper's. Alfred you know. Kinsey, Jake Rowling. Yeah. I mean, these people all have references that, that go back specifically to Crowley. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was a, he was, he's uh, as far as the dark side. You know, he really was pretty much of a giant. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and and he said he wanted to be cheating, uh, Satan's chief of staff. So I think you know he kind of. Right. Kind of did that. Um, and now his he was nicknamed the Beast, and and I think a lot of people, um, uh, I think you know a lot of uh, this audience probably isn't real familiar with Aleister Crowley, and that's probably that's actually it's not probably it's really a good thing. Um, but what is interesting is how he how Crowley has influenced society and um, musicians, artists, writers politicians, directors, um, all this sort of stuff. He was, his nickname was The Beast. And how did he get that nickname? Well, he said it came from his mother. And uh, when he was being kind of a, uh, a young lad and being out of control, she started calling him The Beast. There was something that he identified with. So he, uh, he actually called himself these, The Beast from the Book of Revelations. And he pretty much lived it up. I mean, he... Uh, he also identified with the beast in in the book of Revelations and actually used it frequently within a lot of his writings. And uh, the great beast was one of his titles that he made for himself. Okay. All right. Because his mother, he, he, he would be so – he got really rebellious from what I understand after his father died. And then he would be, you know – very naughty, I guess you could say, and that's when his mother would would you know equate him to the beast, which is kind of a you know a terrible thing, you know. I think one thing about Crowley's life that I have gleaned from from reading you know about him and the information that you have written and dug up about him um, is that you really do have to take care how you speak to your children. You know, how you treat them, the things that you, you know, say to them and stuff like that. They, you know, it was almost like Crowley then, you know, um, became, you know, became what he was called, you know. Um, Yeah. And he also, yeah, the way he was raised was so, for him, sterile. You know, he was only allowed to read the Bible until he was 12 years old. So for him to come out of that environment, at least that's what it seemed in you know, you have to rely on Crowley's autobiography for a lot of the information, which, you know, may be skewed. But according to him, you know, he felt like that was an oppressive environment for him because he wasn't able to do a lot of things. And he was an only child. And, you know, he had a very interesting upbringing that uh, he rebelled against. So. Mm-hmm. And then uh, his mom sent him to the uncle. And the the that was a disaster. He called his uncle the vilest, meanest man in the world, or something like that, didn't he? Right. Yes. Yeah. And then that one boarding school that they sent him to, they 
were horrified to find out that Crowley actually was enjoying the some of the some of the punishments that were administered uh, to certain areas of his his body, I guess, you know. So I think it's it's you know, I I don't know, it should strike fear into the parent of everyone that has has a, you know, like would bear their child's bottom and and start smacking it. You might want to think twice about doing something like that, you know. Yeah, he was uh, he was almost died from some of the the punishments that he received. He I mean he was fed on bread and water. He wasn't allowed to play. They made him work real hard. And he actually I think went into uh some type of his kidney stopped working. So, you know, he was like wow. near death when they pulled him out. So I mean those were the brutal English schools of the nineteenth century, so he was part of that. Wow. Yeah. Um incredible. Um, so you you know, you you started looking at so so actually instead of like being a Beatles fan and noticing Crowley's picture on Sergeant Pepper and starting to check you know, check out books about Crowley, you started looking into nine eleven and this led you to Crowley. You wanna how did right. that how did that all happen? Well, you know, I'd always been interested in kind of alternate uh, views of events, so I was willing to consider alternate theories. Uh, when 9-11 initially occurred, I thought that the story that the government told us was true. But as I researched more and more and saw the actions, I realized that the event itself was a fraud, and um, there's no way that 19 Muslim terrorists could have pulled it off. So I was looking to, to figure out how it happened and why. Not just mm-hmm. how, but what are the underlying reasons for the, that event and what did it cause? And uh, so I realized, well, it really was a cause for uh, greater global tyranny, war, uh, oppression at home, a bigger police state. And it led, you know, there were all kinds of malfeasance that happened during the, uh, that administration. So I then realized that there was something even darker there, and that is the intent behind it, which is, you know, mind control, lies. And uh, that's what led me back and really recognized these numbers had significance. And so once I started reading to try to figure that out, it led me back to Crowley. And I, I saw, and then I saw how important he was and how all of his information is underground because there's a basically a doctrine of silence for all these people uh, who behave in uh, you know these satanic environments. And you know I'm just just trying to break the silence and understand this connection. And it's uh, pretty amazing when you think that you know 100 years ago this black magician existed and whoever put together 9/11. Uh, included his prime numbers in the event, which are 11, 77, 93, and 175. 93 in Crowley's system is a Kabbalic representation of two very important words, which are thelema and agape. Thelema means uh, will, and agape is love. And uh, so those equal 93 in the gematria, and so does actually the Iwats, which is the uh, entity that dictated to Crowley the book, probably most, his most important book, which is the Book of the Law, that he received uh, from his evil spirit in 1904. So 93 is very important. Then he applied 93, and, and 77 has a very deep meaning. It's basically seven times 11. It represents the conjunction of the beast and Babylon in, in Crowley's seal of Babylon and his system. And in uh, Anton LaVey's, uh, uh, one of his books, it uh, represents the 77 names of Satan. And then 11, Crowley called his master, like his master number, was the number par excellence of the new age. 
and it is the prime uh, prime number of 11. And it also operates as a signaling function amongst, amongst Crowley followers because in the Book of the Law, it says 11 is our number as those of who are of us. So they can actually uh, signal who each other is by using that number. And that, uh, you know, with the date September 11th and and actually the flight 11 on 9-11. On right. Wow. Um, do you, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit away from, from Crowley for, for just a moment surra- surrounding 9-11. And the reason why is because I saw an interview with a man named Paul Lafley. Are you familiar with him? It sounds familiar. Tell me about it. Okay. Paul Lawfully is an architect, and he um, he got thrown out of Harvard <laughs> because he they said he was uh, too focused on his work or something like that. And he's like, wait a minute, isn't college the exact place that you're supposed to be too focused, too focused, or too or you know over overtaken? I mean, I guess they felt like it just you know. Um, it, overtook him or something but the thing was was that he kept drawing things that they started calling him this Italian architect who kept building things that fell over he was probably the guy that built the leaning tower of Pisa so this guy kept building things that were odd that were strange that just kind of defied you know normal things and so he got thrown out of Harvard and because he got thrown out of Harvard it actually um got some attention from some of the um, elites, let's say. And he met a man named Kiesler. Well, well, he didn't meet Kiesler. Well, he eventually met Kiesler, but not before he had written 17 letters to Kiesler. And after the 17th letter, which was the, he sent the identical letter 17 times, but it was on the 17th that Kiesler got a hold of him. And he said, why 17? And he said, because it's number 17. Um, it equals eight, you know, which was a big, and, and Paul Offaly had designed this whole like guy's farm out in Virginia based on the uh, Kabbalistic tree of life and all this stuff. Well, from, mm-hmm. from meeting Kiesler, he interviewed with um, a design group by the name of Henry Roth and Son, um, who got a client by the name of Yamasaki. Yamasaki was more of a capitalist architect. He had been working in Dubai, and he hired this Henry Roth and Son, um, which was kind of a design group sort of thing, um, and they formed a joint venture to design and create the World Trade Center. Now, the um, Yamasaki, you know, he wasn't into quite so much of the numerology, but but Kiesler had influenced Henry Roth. He had influenced, and, and Kiesler was kind of the one that was into the Kabbalah. And so the World Trade Center used a um, company called um, Bin Laden Construction for the construction. Wow. Yes, Bin Laden Construction was hired for the construction of these towers. Now, the thing that most people don't know, which Paul Lawfully revealed, was that Yamasaki asked where where in Mr. Lawfully's drawing had he made 
space or provision for the charges. And he said, charges? And Yamasaki said, yeah, you know, like the hotels in in Vegas, they get old, and if you find a better place to put it or it's less taxes, then you just implode your building and put up another one. And if you have the charges pre-put in these these buildings, then it's easier for, you know, for demolition if you need to need to move them. Okay, so all three buildings, which is why Lawfully said Building 7 went down, was because all three buildings were connected and had these charges built right into the construction of the building. And um, now Lawfully had designed uh, actual because each building had to have 18 elevators, he said it was a waste of space. So he said, why not put the, a bridge between them? And he said, that way, if there was ever a fire, you could easily get people across these bridges into the other building or vice versa and actually evacuate the building in four to five minutes. Yamasaki didn't want those bridges. He told him to take them out of there. Wow. Yeah. That's so, fascinating. Yeah, I, I I thought it was too. No, I don't know if Lawfully is still... How did you find out that information? <laughs> well, um, I'm a, I'm a strange girl, and and I <laughs> I research strange things. No, um, I stumbled across a fellow uh, several years ago before before I was born again, um, who whose father was um, part of Project Bluebeam, and he did what I felt was some really incredible research and some really great interviews. And his name is Freeman Fly. And he has a, uh, he had a TV show on, on public access in Austin, Texas called the Freeman perspective. And he had all of right, his, uh, the, yep. The Freeman perspective. And he had all of his episodes on archived into his, into his website. And I stumbled upon him probably five years ago, looking up, um, I think I Googled Illuminati for some reason and and got found here. I have a T-Mobile mic that's 4G. Are we all good? Are you still there? <laughs> that was your what? That. <laughs> okay. I'm actually researching I'm researching Paul Lafley right now, and I opened up a site that uh, had a T-Mobile ad, so I apologize. Oh, that's okay. So um, Freeman who was exposing a lot of the Kabbalistic architecture. Um, he's quite an expert on Crowley. Um, I, I believe Freeman is a magician. I mean, it's pretty clear by the crystal balls and things he has sitting on his, you know, but I just really felt that he was doing some really good research. He really pointed out um, symbolism and numerology and, and things like this. And he interviewed this Paul Lawfully guy. And um, when I got your information, I thought, you know, I never listened to that interview. And now I'm going to because um, I just wanted to know more about this whole 9-11 thing, too. And as I said, I'm not even sure. Is, La- is Lawfully still alive or did he die within the last year? According, according to Wikipedia, he's still alive. Okay. All right. I think he is but pretty cool. Have you seen his artwork? Have you seen his no. artwork? No, I yeah, have not. It's, yeah. it's all magical, uh, Kabbalistic artwork. It's pretty amazing because I've actually come across his artwork. I had no idea he was involved in the design of the World Trade Center, though. Yep. yep. Yeah, that makes it even more interesting because even that, some of his artwork has, has pictured of the a uh, hexagram on it, basically mm-hmm. the symbolic representation of, you know, the microcosm and the macrocosm coming together. 
It's also right. six six six. Yeah. So yep. that would be interesting. I'll have to listen to that interview. That's fascinating information. Yeah, I, I just thought I, I would share that with you. Um, he, he had, you know, he, he Freeman interviewed Paul Bonowitz, who's one of the only guys who's ever in the United States received a degree from a real university in magic. Not magic like I'm going to pull a rabbit out of my hat. You know, I mean, as we're speaking of magic tonight, we're talking sorcery, black magicians. I mean, the stuff that, you know, not 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 kid parties, you know. Um, but anyway. So I've heard of Isaac. Oh, you have? Yeah. Because, again, I'm sure, you know, Crowley had a lot of, you know, influence on a lot of a lot of people. And, you know, as you, as you said, he he wrote, um, this, you know, so many books and, and things like that. This doctrine of silence, I I find that to be really interesting as well. Uh, four of the principles that I did pick up you know, from Crawley, he said that were essential to making any like ritual um, happen or whatever were to know, to to dare, to will, and to be silent. And so he was really big on silence. So what is this whole doctrine of silence? Is that something the elite have? Is that why they'll well, show you know, things in movies, but not like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a way of preserving power and connections, which are essential functions of an elite. And so even just being an elite is almost occultic in many ways because they don't want to reveal their power and how they're they're operating because that's how they maintain their status. So for me, looking at this doctrine of silence, once I recognized that it was prevalent within Crowley and other people, you know, I followed it back and I kept seeing this doctrine of silence in other places. It wasn't just Crowley. It was uh, Skull and Bones, the Bohemian Club or with its adjunct, the Bohemian Grove. Uh, it went back to... Uh, the Hellfire Clubs of the late 19th, uh, 18th century in England, and even farther back into Greece and Egypt. And God only knows how those were, how they expressed expressed themselves through that those civilizations. But there was this uh, emphasis upon silence, and uh, mm-hmm. silence is very valuable because it impedes truth, and people get confused about what's going on. So uh, the power of silence is definitely something that pervades our uh, you know, our civilization and uh, the, most of the people who are running with these powerful, you know, corporations and political politicians uh, have this particular doctrine, and and uh, it's uh, something people should know more about. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the the second part of my question with that is, um, do you think that that's why, like in the movie Knowing, Nick Cage is watching TV and you see an oil rig explode in the Gulf of Mexico and a year later a Gulf a rig explodes in the Gulf of Mexico and we have the huge most huge I mean it's probably going to affect the ecosystem for you know the next 100 years you know do you think that's why they sort of hide things in cuz you've also done a DVD on Hollywood so i guess this is where i'm kind of going with this now what have you found about the occult influences in Hollywood? Well, I found out that it's everywhere. And even the numbers that express themselves through the events of 9-11 are through films of, you know, directors that we're all very familiar with. Stanley Kubrick, Oliver Stone, uh, Roman Polanski, and other films that even famous actors have been in, like, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage, for example, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it's almost everywhere if you, if an individual 
can have the eye to see and understand it. They're putting it right in your face, but a lot of people don't understand, and that's kind of part of the magic trick, you know? The insiders mm-hmm. know what's going on, and they don't say anything. They're silent about it, but people on the mm-hmm. outside confused to the connections and the, you know, the doctrines that these things reference. So, uh, you know, for me, you know, that's why I kind of wanted to make that kind of documentary was just to reemphasize that these are not just, you know, these are happening all over the place, mm-hmm. these, these occult markers. So, and even the, the occultism in the films are, are very significant. Like Roman Polanski is, uh, yeah, I mean, his, his films, Rosemary's Baby, Ninth Gate, and The Ghost Rock, just are seeping with Satanism of all different sides. I mean, The Ninth Gate with Johnny Depp is an incredible oh, film. It's I didn't right know face. Polanski did The Ninth Gate. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And that's kind of like a satanic pilgrim's progress. It's it's really the, the story of a guy who, you know, passes all these tests and is able to enter into the satanic holy of holies. It's uh it's really incredible. It's an incredible. Once you understand it, and the the main protagonist has his own, uh, you know, holy satanic guardian angel at the end. He, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I don't want to. It, 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 I should probably I could probably make a movie on it all on it by itself, but the references <laughs> I, there yeah. are like six six six, the lightning strikes the tree, which is kind of the Luciferian inversion of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, where Satan is the one who gives humanity its life. Uh, there's there's also the sign of silence in there, so this doctrine of silence is emphasized. There's the chessboard symbol, which is like something they use for the primacy of human intelligence. That's the importance of eighty eight. And then there's the Whore of Babylon that, you know, these people are with. And then there's the Hanged Man, which is a tarot card. But the Hanged Man is also uh, used by certain tarot cards to uh, distinguish life from, uh, from, like, the satanic view of life as opposed to Christian view because it shows, like, for uh, there's a deeper meaning within that card that uh, shows that, it basically shows that the self-sacrifice is for, you know, idiots. And so the whole notion of self-sacrifice in Christianity is eschewed and uh, mocked and ridiculed in that card. And that, that's a prevalent symbol that takes place within the uh, Ninth Gate. Yeah. Uh, when you say you could do a whole movie on that whole thing, um, I really think you could because those those gates... Um, Oh, I forget the name of the magic book that they come from. But uh, I the Ninth think... Gate and Kenneth Grant was a follower of Crowley, and okay. he said the Ninth Gate is like the entryway into the Holy of Holies. So for him, the Ninth Gate. He actually had a book called the Ninth Gate, which symbolizes man's entrance into the temple in Jerusalem. But it's not okay. like the the normal way of entrance. It's the way to get into where all the old, you know, uh, the old ones, the ancient ones, it's right. And there's a, there's a book and you couldn't think it's not the Necronomicon. Um, it's something, but it's sort of like that. But anyway, yeah, it's like, um, Oh my gosh. It involves, yeah, these very ancient ones that are supposed to be like chained in a place like the abyss. And it's like, People try and go and access these things, and uh, the guy that wrote, you know, started 
discovering this, she had a dream and this stone came down and some hooded black figures followed him, but then they disappeared. When, I mean, it's I, very, very, very bizarre, that whole thing. And okay, so what's really scary about that or like maybe, you know, I don't know if it's, because I'm not scared because I have the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not scared of it, but the scope of it just astounds me that there are people that are practicing these deep, dark, satanic, Luciferian rituals, calling up these spirits and using these symbols, these sigils and stuff like this to manifest all these things. And they're trying to actually get, isn't the ninth gate about actually penetrating that last, like, um, like penetrating to into the abyss, the 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 stargate that's holding this all behind it. I'm not fully sure. I, I okay. it's probably a lot for me to learn. But he at the very end, the the movie ends with Johnny Johnny uh, Gate Johnny Depp's character entering into this kind of like stargate slash gate in mm-hmm. an old uh, in an old castle. So you know it's very symbolic and uh, wow. Basically, the whole book is about a symbolic journey about, you know, Johnny Gates' satanic character. Right. Wow. See, I've never seen the movie, but because I heard it was really complicated and hard to understand, so I didn't. But I, but I know what movie you were talking about. I've heard other people talk about it, but I've actually not, not seen it myself. Um, so, wow. One of the interesting elements of it is ghostwritten. So the writer, whoever's credited on there as writing, isn't mm-hmm. really the real person who wrote it. So. It's unclear who actually, but Polanski's history of satanic imagery and satanic behavior goes all the way back to Sharon Tate and even beyond that. I mean, Sharon Tate was in this movie called Eye of the Devil uh, with David Niven, so it was one of her first roles, and she was a witch in that. And, mm. uh, you know, like the whole story about Manson and everything, is that there's definitely a larger satanic uh, undercurrent there that was never really disclosed to the public, but it seemed like according to my research, that not only were the Manson family involved in Satanism, but also everybody who was at that house on that unfortunate night. Mm-hmm. So... Not, there's a much deeper story there. There's a, They were not some kind of random people. They were all involved in occultism in L.A. at the time, and something went sour, and, uh, you know, Manson sent some people over there to kill them all, and that was that's unfortunate, but... Uh, you know, there's uh, Polanski has never left his satanic leading, leaving, even from you know 1968 and 1960s. Right. So, for all we know, Sharon Tate could have been pregnant with what they call a star child or moon. Excuse me, moon right. child. Right, and it was weird that they killed her. Right, you know, and she was in her eighth month. Right. Uh, and there were a lot of ritual elements. The rope. There were ropes around people's necks. Yeah. So there, you know, these are all like ties and symbols of binding. They put right. a rope around people in masonry. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I don't really know. And there's a rumor that Manson actually, after the butchery was over, Manson did show up to look at the carnage uh, that night. So you know, uh-huh. his his involvement hasn't fully been disclosed uh, in that event. Right. Yeah. Um. 
Wow. Yeah, I definitely, definitely think there's something something deeper there. Um, now, I uh, anyway, I, I didn't mean to get off track with the Paul Laughley thing, but I just thought you would find no, that interesting. Very, yeah. I'm glad that's very interesting because, you know, I also did, uh, did another thing on the, you know, basically uh, 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 an article on the Rockefeller buildings and how occultic they were. When you yeah. see an occultist like Laffley involved in the actual design, because the Twin Towers are a big 11. Yeah. They're actually broken into, and the 11 for a symbol of Crowley wasn't merely a number. It was also an ideogram, a symbol of opposites, you know, a very important mm-hmm. doctrine in magic to bring them opposites together. And so, the towers. You know, and the towers were broken in, into three separate parts, so it's almost like a living 33, which is a very important number. Right. Uh, so... You know, and then there was this great bronze caryatid, which is in the center there, and it looked like a radiant eye. The purpose of the building was to create a kind of new world order and the breakdown of uh, using agreements and all types like NAFTA and CAFTA and all these things to break down mm-hmm. national boundaries. Uh, so, you know, that, that these are stated aims, and, you know, the Rockefellers also did the Rockefeller Center and uh, mm-hmm. uh, UN building. So these are all very creepy weird, satanically inspired and decorated buildings. Absolutely. And I had also read somewhere where um, the three buildings, you know, the two towers that were side by side, the Twin Towers making the 11, symbolized Jacob and Boaz, which are the pillars in Freemasonry, and they're also um, the pillars on one of the tarot cards. And that building seven then symbolized the altar, you know, because you go through yeah, the, you know, through right. the towers to get to the altar, whatever. And so, and of course, you know, building seven, there you go with that, you know, seven again and the new, you know, the numerological significance. And of course, the tower card in tarot, you know, that card is, ter- you know, old systems being torn apart, something being completely destroyed so that something new comes out of it. Sort of like that phoenix. Right. It's in interesting. And I've also heard that. The the buildings were also Kabbalic, you know, because the Kabbalah, the Tree of Life has really two supporting structures, and you know that there was also a reference there, and uh, you know it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, the buildings were 110 stories each, so there's an 11 right there. Yeah. I mean, the whole the whole thing is uh, is really amazing. Yeah, and then when you hear that the charges were actually built into the buildings. Like you know, like they are into the hotels in but modern hotels in Vegas, and this was what Yamasaki basically was saying, you know. But then he's working with the Bin La- the Bin Laden construction company. Hello, I mean, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. how much more conspiratorial does this thing get? You know. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, um, and you know, basically Freeman in the interview with with Lafley, he basically only touches on the whole thing um, with you know Kiesler and the number seventeen, and then this whole thing with Yamasaki. Paul Lafley probably actually only discusses it for maybe I'd say eight to ten minutes. And it is a, um, I think, 50-minute interview. But just to hear from the, well, you've seen his artwork, so you know that this guy is, he's walking to the beat of, of a different drummer for sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, occultic drawings and, and artwork, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, and um, 
you know, he's even talking in there about, you know, the golden mean and pi, uh, the golden mean spiral is equates to pi, but you've heard of the golden mean, right? It's, it's in everything. Sure. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's also an, there's a mean of, um, is it Archimedes? Uh, there's another mean that's opposite, of course, because in, in Luciferian, Ism, there's always a counterfeit. Satan always has a counterfeit to what God does. Right. So listening, listening to this interview with Lafley, I find out there's even a counterfeit to the to the golden mean, and it's called the Archimedes spiral or anti-spiral or something. And it's you know, oh. it, and and there's a plant that has this opposite. This this I don't even know if Archimedes is right, right. I, but it's got it's different than the golden mean and there's a plant whose leaf follows that pattern and not the golden mean and that leaf is the ginkgo biloba which people are taking to increase their brain their memory and stuff yeah it doesn't follow the pi ratio wow that's interesting yeah, so I'm getting you way off track here, but <laughs> no, I mean these are I'm, I'm learning something. This is good. I, I, my, this is thing. I'm gonna have to go and listen to that interview now. Right, I'm giving you I'm I'm, I'm giving you breadcrumbs, eh? <laughs> yeah, I'm the kind of person who will follow them too. I'll just let you know. Yep, I know. I am too. I I, I bet you've uh, gathered that by now. <laughs> um, I, I follow. Clubs all breadcrumbs all over the place, believe it or not. That's how I came to the conclusions in my book. Right. It's just like taking one step forward. You know? Mhm. Yep. Yeah. And um. Um. You know, thank you for for sending me what you did. I mean, it's uh, very well done. I like the fact that you you use Crowley's own words as much as possible. You know, and and I think um, that's good because you certainly can tell, you know, the degree of the man's ego and and whatever else, you know, by that. And um, of, of yeah, course, anybody who can write a nine hundred page autobiography when they're forty seven <laughs> has an incredible ego because. I mean, he hadn't even lived, uh, he had another 30 years to go and still, you know, found the time to write this very ornate uh, book. Actually, he probably didn't write it, though. He had it. He probably just had it. He probably spoke words and somebody scribed at one of his followers. But, uh, right. yeah, he uh, he was something else. Yeah. Now, I also, one thing in ahead. the book I did is I added as many footnotes as possible. So mm -hmm. it reads, I mean, they're reads hopefully well, but it also can function as a reference work because, you know, I think that, uh, you know, he, you can reference everything that I said. I didn't just make it up. It has a lot of accurate, uh, you know, drafts or pulls from his his writings. Yeah, um, definitely. You, you, the footnotes are excellent. Absolutely excellent. Um, I learned things just in what you sent me that, you know, I mean, that I didn't know, that I found really interesting, that I had some aha moments, you know, going just because of everything that, that's going on in the world right now. It's like, you you know, 
you have to be able to connect these dots. And so when people like you come along and begin to expose those dots and those dots start to come to the surface and then you can you connect them, you know, the way that you have, like the breadcrumbs, you know, um, following, you know, you follow them and you and you follow it up well. I, the footnotes are fantastic. And, and um, yeah, so it's also definitely serves very well as a reference reference piece. Now, I you mentioned Bullskin and that was his his place on Loch Ness, basically, right. right? And then he also had another property that was on the Isle of Man. No, it was in uh, Sicily, it's in the in, island of Sicily. Yeah, it was. Uh, okay. He found a place in Sicily that where he set up his Abbey of the Will or Abbey Abbey Palima. The the Palima uh, Ab. Okay. Right, and so that's where he brought. He wanted all of his followers to go there, and uh, the place was called Chepelur, spelled C-E-F-A-L-U, and uh, it's run down today. But apparently, the farmhouse he lived in uh, still kind of exists. But he made it kind of a magical training center, and a number of people from England traveled there for his trainings, and some didn't get out alive. Oh, really? Now I. Yeah heard that one of his assistants died of fright during a ritual where Crowley was conjuring a demon. Yeah, I never came across that. You know, there's a, there's elements of his life that, uh, you know, are clearly, uh, you know, uh, happened, but some of the things I just didn't come across. I didn't come across anybody dying. I didn't come across any evidence of you know, child sacrifice, although he did write about okay. that. Yep. Uh, you know, the evidence of the kind of nasty stuff I did put in there, and yeah. uh, he's very figure. Yeah. Um, the nasty, you know, I mean, ugh, the ick. He was so perverted and gross. I mean, I can understand why no publisher would, would, um, would touch that, that White Stains book, you know. Um, because that that's just awful, and I heard that. Um, well, it was in your material. The first hundred orders for that book came with a, um, let's say, DNA sample on the front cover. That's the um, rumor. Yeah, they're rumored to. Uh, you rumored to. Uh, so, uh, uh, what's the right? I guess just. His seminal fluid is supposed to be on each one of those. Right, right. Um, I see we do have a caller. Um, So I wonder, because I know that everyone that's ever had you on as a guest has talked about the Crowley Bush, um, Barbara Bush possibly being the love child um, of Crowley and one of his uh, women that participated in some of the rituals because she was friends. Well, her, it was Pauline Pierce and, and Pauline Pierce married the, um, into the Bush family. Correct. And now, Pauline, when, right. go ahead. Pauline Pierce was her, I think her husband was the publisher of Harper's. Right. And she was in London and, you know, you have to remember at this time, this was the roaring twenties. She was in, Paris, which was the Belle Epoque, it was this huge place for rich people to go to and summer and spend time there among the other artists, etc. And uh, there was a time Crowley was there. He was always traveling back to France 
and London most of his life. So he, he was part of that crew. I mean, he was an aristocrat, and uh, he was doing magical rituals that required uh, courtesans or assistants uh, who were females. And the story was is that when Pauline Pierce returned, she was pregnant uh, with Crowley's child, and that, that uh, child was Barbara Pierce, who became Barbara Bush. Uh, and she had an interesting kind of courting with, you know, the senior Bush, and that she was only 16, and uh, senior Bush was 18. So it had that whiff of an arranged marriage. And, uh, you know, it just uh, it's very. There's all kinds of peculiarities. The Bushes clearly are a satanic family. 9/11 had all kinds of elements of Satanism. Uh, so, you know, it's. Uh, I couldn't find any perfect evidence for it, but uh, from what I researched and what I read. There are indicators, and when you look at the elite, they're into their, you know, history, their bloodlines, and their breeding, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. They have a much more, uh, much more concerned about matters such as that. So mm-hmm. that would be, you know, something that would lend that, you know, George Bush Senior and, uh, you know, Barbara Bush would become, you know, and then, I mean, you have to look at look at George Bush's seniors. Is that Prescott Bush was a sitting member of Planned Parenthood or the, by Margaret Sanders. He was a uh, member of their board of directors. So you have like an arch racist grandfather and then his son marries, you know, somebody when he's 18. Very unusual. Yeah. Very unusual. And I know Crowley was cremated, so unless somebody's got one of the first 100 copies of that book, and I don't even know if the DNA would still be viable at this point, but that sort of intrigued me. I'm like, oh, since Crowley was cremated, I wonder. Um, I'm going to pick up this caller and see what kind of a question they have. Is that cool with you, William? Sure. All right. Let's see if my... Or it'll pick him up here. Hello, you're on the air with Doors of Deception and William Ramsey. Hello? Hello? Uh, hello? Yeah, who's this? Oh, hey, Dory. I was just, this is Brian. Uh, <laughs> Brian, oh, are you on from your Facebook? <laughs> yes, yes. How are you? Oh, I, I see. Look in, at that. Your I was just intending to listen on the phone. <laughs> okay. So but, you... Uh, wanted to stay muted then so you could just listen on the phone. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I could bring something up here because you were talking about uh, the Necronomicon and the Gates a little while back. Yeah, That's kind of where my research is going right now and what I'm trying to write. And, wow, (laughs) having to go back and forth and revise it over and over and over again. But, I mean, I've come across some real incredible stuff in regards to the Gates and how... These different groups are working. Mhm. Okay. And All it, right. it it comes down to some real crazy stuff that you know I don't think a lot of people consider. And I mean, I stumbled upon um, kind of looking through different regards of alchemy because I mean we grasp pretty much and understand that a lot of these different uh, you know old occultic sciences from say Phoenicia onwards have been kept alive within the uh, alchemy and I stumbled across this very bizarre little piece that was found in an Aztec temple named the Emerald Tablets of Toth slash Hermes. Yep. And yeah, the (laughs) I'm telling you the pieces are pretty much sitting right in broad daylight with that thing. Yeah. I've heard of that 
Okay. All right. Well, Brian, thanks. I'll um, put you back on. Uh, you can go back to listening on the phone, and then you have a good night, and I will catch you on Facebook. All right. Take it easy. All right, thanks. thanks. All right. Um, yeah, Emerald Tablets of Thoth. That's another uh, another really interesting esoteric book. Okay. Um, so anyway, yeah, I don't know if I don't know enough about DNA to know if like that the covers of any of those books, if anyone would happen to have one, if the DNA would still be any good. But probably not. I imagine you would have to have been mummified or something like that because mummification does keep a, a viable cell from what I understand and don't the elite all kind of trace themselves back to the pharaonic um, pharaohs William yeah I, mean, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't know it would be an oh. interesting uh, question to posit but you know that a lot of these guys trace their bloodlines that far back I mean that's why they prize their own themselves so much more than other people because they think that you know, they're relatives to, you know, Nimrod or something like that. I mean, it's really, they actually really do believe that kind of stuff. Right, right. That, yeah, that they've been, they, some of them can trace themselves all the way back to Nimrod. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what they, they, I don't know, Right. you know, how well, much truth is to that, but that's what they do. Right, and that would be um, like some of the, <clears throat> then from Nimrod, they ended up being the Druids in England, and right? Right. And I mean, right. they, they, there's traces. I mean, I, it's my understanding that somebody affiliated with uh, William Cooper traced George Bush Sr.'s bloodline back to uh, the Knights Templar. So if that's the case, you know, that would that would be very interesting. That means that it's a bloodline of like, you know, black magicians going back thousands of years or hundreds of years, I should say. Someone traced George Bush Sr.'s bloodline back to, say that again, the Knights back Templar. To the Knights Templar, right. Okay, who because... Were, uh, was, uh, I guess, who was the guy's name? It was uh, Jacques in de France. Had, Jacques de Molay, thank you. Yep. So if that's the truth, then you're dealing with, uh, you're dealing oh. with something that's... Very out of the ordinary. Yes, and wow, that just gave me chills because I did some research for a book that I was writing before I um, was saved, and it was historical fiction because I couldn't trace all, I mean, I couldn't find enough historical facts to, to you know, make it true, but what I did find was incredibly interesting, which I couldn't believe, this horrific serial killer's great-great-grandfather was the grandmaster of the Knights Templar, but the reason why he got lost for a long time in history, it wasn't until the advent of people doing, really getting into genealogy as a hobby, which could be why this friend of William Cooper's ended up tracing George Bush Sr.'s line back to the Knights Templar with this, you know, advent of people getting really into genealogy. So this information was lost for a really long time until the genealogy people started cropping up 
and I found out that this great-great-grandfather ended up changing his name after they burned Jacques de Molay at the stake for protection for his family. But they were like the wealthiest family in France at the time um, that Joan of Arc did her, um, you know, thing and uh, the siege on, on New Orleans. And I actually found um, occult connections all over that thing to William. Just over, over Joan of Arc? Yep. Oh, just well, Joan of Arc. One of her associates was somebody by the name of Gilles Gilles Gerard. That's correct. Right. He was a, a child murderer, and that was that's who Crowley I'm talking about. Gave, well, it goes all the way back to Crowley because Crowley gave a discussion about Gilles de Ray at uh, Oxford. It's uh, kind of a famous speech he said where he was kind of a semi-apologist for him, and uh, it's pretty disgusting. But Gilles de Ray was uh, <sighs> a real monster, and. Uh, yeah, the Jacques, Jacques de Molay was also, you know, that the Knights Templar started out as a Christian organization, but the story was they got perverted into black magic and you know Satanism, yep. and that's why they were, that's why they were slaughtered, you know, killed. But if you want to read about or listen to about George Bush's, uh, George Bush Senior's uh, genealogy, you want to listen to the Skull and Bones version on William Cooper's Mystery Babylon series. So I think that's where it is. Where can I get that? Uh, I would look. Up, I would Google William Cooper Mystery Babylon. Okay. And there should be a there should be a torrent out there. But okay. William Cooper did fantastic work. It was a forty yeah. four hour series on just basically the occult. Right. And uh, one of them was Skull and Bones. And I guess what, what William Cooper was a major threat to the elite mm-hmm. because. Not only was he telling things that he wasn't supposed to, uh, he also started something that was just like an uh, independent intelligence operation. I think he called it KG or Citizens Action Intelligence Committee or something. But I think that that's where he got his information is that somebody out there in, uh, you know, back before the days of the Internet did a bunch of research in libraries. So I would, uh, anyway, William Cooper, Mr. Dowd, and that's... Here's another thing is that the elite have access to information in books and libraries that the rest of the public don't. Right. Uh, you know, for example, in Skull and Bones, they have their own libraries. They probably have access to all of Crowley's works before yeah, the advent oh, of the Internet. I'm sure they so do. You can, yeah, so they probably have originals in there, whereas, uh, you know, the average public wouldn't have access to these books except through, you know, other publishing houses. This is back in the day. So these people were getting these ideas and keeping it for themselves, and the public had no idea until, uh, you know, recently when you're the, the readily available opportunity to read these works. Like, for me to read these works, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this early stuff is everywhere. So I've oh, been yeah. in, I've actually, I've been in, uh, by happenstance, walked into the, there's actually a, uh, Theosophic kind of temple in Los Angeles where I live. It's across from the University of Southern California. It's on 33rd Street of all things, and its address is 322. I forgot uh-huh. what the street is. Of uh, course. It has, yeah, it has a big uh, hexagram on the outside covered by the Ouroboros of the dragon eating its own tail. But inside mm-hmm. there, uh, they had like an open house. So I'm the kind of person who would walk in there, but they have their own library. 
and that was an eye opener for me. So these people are these are groups, and it's it's a fairly well kept place with very nice architecture, and uh, these people they have their own access to information, and they're not afraid to collect, compile, and keep to themselves this uh, you know secret doctrines. Mm-hmm. Was that um that wasn't um, Manly P Hall's uh is Manly P Hall's collection in Los Angeles? Uh, it is. It's a different place than that one. Apparently, there's okay. like some. It's called the Study for Esoteric Studies, or Center for Esoteric Studies. It has a very vague name, but it has all of his library and all these other occult paintings. That one's closer to the Hollywood Bowl. I think it's up in uh, the Hollywood slash, you know, um, God Lord. Just a, just a kind of an area different than where I was at. I was closer to okay. USC. But there's okay. a lot of these occult areas. Up here, they do the Gnostic Mass around here. I know of that. So there's there's a lot of satanic stuff going on. Wow, yeah, you're you're in the um, one of the hearts of it, probably there in New York still. Um, yeah, I I really would be interested in. I didn't know, and see now you're. Um, uh, you know, telling me something that I didn't know either, that I didn't know Crowley gave a lecture on Gilles de Ray at Oxford, because... Yeah, you can look, it's just called the Gilles de Ray Lecture, and it's, uh... Wow. It's, uh, it was, yeah, so it's, uh... Crowley covered all the bases of the evil people, you know, so he right. identified with all the monsters of the history, of the Bible, of the, uh, you know, he was, he was just a real uh, piece of work, so... Yeah. Uh, the, the Gilles de lecture is called, I think it's called the band lecture or something. I think he was actually might have been forbidden from giving it. I, my memory doesn't serve me well here. Let me, let me well, out. yeah, I mean, Gilles de Ray was really, really, really horrific. And again, you know, when I first started researching was like back in 1998 and there wasn't much on the internet, and then I started researching again about three years ago, and there was a plethora of stuff. Again, I equate that to a lot of the genealogy, you know, people really getting into genealogy. And, you know, that's where I found out that Jill DeRay's great-great-grandfather had changed his name from uh, from Sable to De Crayon because he was Grandmaster of the Knights Templar. And then I started following dots. And, you know, they sold, France ended up selling Joan of Arc to the English because they couldn't execute her. She had, you know, helped liberate their country. So they sold her to the English, again, for something like 30 pieces of silver. Does that sound familiar? And then... Uh, and then once she was sold to the English for basically 30 pieces of silver, then the English tortured her and et cetera, et cetera, right. you know, burned her at the stake. And then I also found a document from um, uh, Freud. Freud had analyzed Gilles de Ray and it came to the same conclusion I did, that Gilles de Ray had fallen in love with Joan of Arc because he was her commander in chief in the army, in the siege. He was her right-hand, right-hand man, you know, and um, then – when she died, that's when he fell, that's when he completely went to the dark side. And he was credited with murdering 200 to 800 children or something. I mean, it was an astronomical amount. And the stuff that he did was absolutely heinous. It was, you know, I can see where Crowley could be inspired by a monster like that. So I guess it doesn't surprise me that he gave a lecture on on Gilles de Ray, but I, I just I didn't know that till I talked to you. So you gave me some breadcrumbs too. 
<laughs> well, I mean, you can go if you want to talk about child sacrifice. Crowley's Lever sixty six or book sixty six. Uh-huh. Lever's just a uh, term for it. References child sacrifice. I mean, he talked about it right there, and in kind of vague terms that would be difficult to interpret. But basically, uh, it says. The, again, the master shall speak as he will soft words, and with music and what else he will bring forward the victim. He shall slay the young child upon the altar, and the blood shall cover the altar with perfume as of roses. Then shall the master appear as he should appear in his glory. So the master is Satan. So right. you kill a young child, Satan uh, will appear. And then he goes on, this is book 66 again, he says, For I am a mighty vampire, and my children shall suck up the wine of the earth, which is blood. Thou shalt replenish thy veins from the chalice of heaven, and thou shalt be secret of fear to the world. Wow. Wow. <sighs> yeah, so um, there's the the blood. And the child, there's Crowley's his perverted mind using these kind of uh, sacred symbols in the most perverted sense, you know, the chalice of heaven. And he calls uh, the masters. He, he actually uh, capitalizes he and his. So it looks like something religious like a mm-hmm. Christian would say, but he's actually referencing Satan, right. not God or Jesus right. Christ. I also like to say that I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah and uh, the only Son of God. I just want to make that testimony clear. I'm not a Satanist. I've never been in right. any way shape or form. Yep. I'm, I'm nope. glad you... I'm like, yep. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you you said that cuz sometimes, you know, I mean, this subject matter is very dark and people could tend to possibly think, you know, other things, but um I think that any intel that we can glean from or about the enemy um cuz we're in a spiritual battle. We're in one of the biggest spiritual battles in history right now, the way things have ramped up between good and evil. Absolutely. Absolutely. And without question. Yep, without question. And and I believe in you know, I, I've never been into war movies or anything like that, but um from what I understand, you know, st- strategy intel is very important and you know, I think that it's important for us to know what these people are up to that live amongst us. You know, and what you know, what little tricks do they use to identify each other without saying anything and how do we recognize when we're seeing those things and if we do see those things they should become red flags for us so that we can you know stop and go whoa is this what I think it is yeah that's extremely well said and that's the signals and the numbers and understanding these terms like when I when I figured it out I was like oh these people are signaling each other with the use of the number 11 and 93. Oh, you know, I didn't understand that. And a lot of these information can be found out on, like, Wikipedia. It's just putting it, you know, it's showing that it's being put into practice, I think, is why I wrote and made these movies in this book, you know, that this really is happening. You know, so just because somebody talks about it in public school or in a college course doesn't mean that it's not happening. You know, it, it's definitely out there. And everybody should recognize it, particularly Christians, because Jesus Christ commanded us to watch, you know, and that's why you have a lot of these things on the Internet, the watchmen and stuff like that. Well, they need to watch, you know, they need to know this information. A lot of this information isn't even covered by the Christian church in the world, you know, which is to me, 
is uh, extremely unfortunate because that's part of their job, isn't just to emphasize what's good, but show evil and reject evil, you know, in other people because Satan is using his followers as uh, intermediaries to do his will, you know, and that's, uh, I think it's sad that a lot of these Christian pastors aren't, aren't, uh, don't have a clue of that, especially the fact that 9-11 is a mega ritual satanic event. It's not just political, it's spiritual, you know? Right. So that's the main point of, you know, why I wrote the book is to show that this is within the context of cosmic human history. You know, this is in the context of prophecy and everything that Christ talked about and all the all the intents of the, the prophets of the past who described the end of the world, you know? I'm not saying I know when the end of the world is. I don't. But I know that the birth pangs are taking place and people need to wake up and watch and take the necessary steps to protect themselves and their families. Right. Uh, some someone is asking if Crowley appeared in pictures with a with a knight, Knights of Malta, Malta uh, Cross of Malta, Maltese Cross. Uh, I don't I don't have one uh, that I rec- recollect offhand. He used something called the Baphomet Cross, which uh, is a, a cross that's and it basically has eleven crosses on it. It kind of looks like a check mark, and I've seen that out there. And I think that he might have had a picture of him with a Maltese cross which was part of the Masonic regalia. So, yes, I, I don't know if it was very prominent, but he might have had a picture there. I'd have to go back and look. I don't reflect, recollect offhand. But, uh, like I said, he used the Baphomet cross, and that was something that other Satanists have used in the past, particularly the guy who wrote Mor- Morals and Dogma. He was seen with a Baphomet cross. Albert uh, I Pike. I can't remember his name. Albert Pike. Pike. Thank you. Yep. Right. Albert another Satanist. And uh, so... Maltese cross. Yeah, so I've seen the pictures of the Baphomet cross that's out there. I saw it once uh, on the on the movie of the show Lost on TV, they, and the, there was a cave that they all went to, and there's a prominent Baphomet cross on there. So, you know, these things wow. are definitely flat. Yeah. That made my hair stand up. Yeah. They, so, I mean, the thing is, is these satanic things are being shown all the time. It's right. just, you know, people don't understand. It's like the intro to almost every Bruckheimer produced film or TV show has this road, and at the end of the road, you see this lightning bolt strike a tree. It's just straight up satanic symbolism that the Luciferians believe that this, you know, lightning is used as a symbol of the devil, that the devil is giving life to a dead tree of human life, and that's that's how they worship Satan. Is like Satan is showing them how to live this kind of the satanic or Luciferian notion of freedom, which is, you know, do what thou wilt, uh, total egotism, don't care what happens to other people, and uh, you know it's uh, it's disgusting. But it's it's shown in front of hundreds of millions of people, or has been over in over the, all over the world. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that have you, have you seen that new Verizon commercial? Is that you know the kids in his no. workshop and he comes? There's a kid working his workshop or something. He comes running out with a lightning bolt and throws it up in the air, and it all you know, and then it says. Um, Rule the air, and it's a Verizon wow. commercial. I so and I used to think we happen to have Verizon. We live in a small place where there wasn't uh, very much of a selection for cell phone service providers, right. and I thought my Verizon logo had a check mark. But after I saw that commercial that that they have now, that's their Rule the Air campaign. 
I looked at right. it, and it's a canted square. Wow. Yeah. It's it's not a Shock. check mark. It's a canted square, and I'm like going, oh yeah, great. Anyway, <laughs> so I told my husband, we're switching phone companies. I don't think there's anybody that's safe, though. <laughs> you know, we oh. have to use this technology too, and I think if we, you know, can use the internet and the um, the internet for like connecting with other Christians and other believers, and we can share this information with one another, um, that that's really important, that they, you know, the people behind the technology may have Luciferian or Satanic agenda, but we, too, can, you know, we overcome that by the power and authority that we're given, as in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, um, that we are given the power to trample on snakes and scorpions, and that nothing that the enemy, the power of the enemy comes up with shall harm us by any means. And so I... You know, I so that's that's one of the reasons why I'm really glad you wrote this book because, as you said, it wasn't just a political maneuver. 9/11 is what I'm going back to. Is it wasn't just a political agenda to get somebody, you know, to start a war or, you know, to get somebody taken out of power or somebody putting into. It's not strictly political. If you look behind that, as you did, you see that there's a dark spiritual current going on and it's really time you know that people wake up to that yeah i agree and, i absolutely agree and yep well i was just going to say on verizon like that the the check mark their new handheld device for 4g is called the thunderbolt sure yep yeah, so i mean it's just all right there yep yeah and their new ad campaign you know like i said is rule the air well, hello, who rules the air? We know who rules the air, you know. So um, even though this is really dark subject matter, um, and I'm sure it was difficult for you to research it. I know the deeper I got into researching Gilles de Ray, the the more disturbing it became. And, oh, no wonder. I was just going to say, Gilles de Ray and Aleister Crowley conjured the same demon. And I'll tell you really? something. What? What? Yep, they conjured the same demon, and I will tell you in a moment. There's also okay. because I want because I want to make this point before I tell you the name of the demon. There's a very right. famous man in the New Age right now. He's very famous. He's very popular. He writes things that are that seem very um, loving and world. So it's interesting that you know this 93 also means you know thelema and love, will and love. These these people, these Rosicrucians, and which also is an esoteric order, which I know Crowley had some affiliation with too, and, and maybe just um, you know a fringe affiliation. But this really famous. No, it wasn't, wasn't fringe. Wasn't fringe. Golden Dawn was was talked about to be a Rosicrucian order. Oh, it was totally a Rosicrucian order. Okay, so yeah, there's Rosicrucians today that are doing things that seem to be very loving. And they're spreading this love, um, universal love consciousness stuff. And I'm I'm going to tell you that I ran across this guy's um, a group online, and their name 
was the name of this same demon that Crowley and Gilles de Ray conjured. And this demon's name, I will spell it. It's B-E-L-I-A-L. It's Belial. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. Yep, very powerful demon. Explicitly like the son of Baal is Belial. And there's this group on the internet that's um, called Sons of Belial, and they're, they use all of this New Agers material, and um, I actually wrote to him about it. And I said, you realize you have a group n- named after you that's, uh, you know, you have this group that's, you know, um, supposed to be your group on the internet that that is using, you know, this name of this demon. And he's like, wow. He actually wrote back to me and he said, no one's ever pointed that out to me before. And I said, really? Well, I'm pointing it out to you. And he said, well, I can't help what other people do. But you see, these people, they... They conjure these demons because the demons are supposed to, they're supposed to be holding them in these sigils, you know, um, like the Key uh-huh. of Solomon, you know, and, they're, and, they're, and that's how they bind, again, that binding. You talk about the ropes and, you know, that sort of thing. And then they have sigils and the sigils bind the demons. And while the demons are bound, um, they're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be able to command them to do things for you. The problem is, is that you end up, you know, sacrificing your eternal soul, you know, um, and this, this new age guy that has the group on the internet that's named after Belial is David Wilcock. I've heard his name before. It sounds very familiar. Yeah. He's supposed to be in the reincarnation of Edgar Casey or something. Anyway, um, very, very big, very awfully influential to, you know, again, big ego, um, but I actually watched this man change because, you know, um, this was the tail end of my tail end of what turned out to be my nightmare in hell in the in the new age. Um, I watched this man actually change his physicality. And I've heard Russ wow. talk about people who are um, demon possessed or uh, people with dissociative identity disorder which used to be called multiple personality disorder when they switch their eyes will change color sometimes depending on what the entity is the pupils will change to slits and yeah and i watch this guy go from some scrawny guy to all of a sudden i see him at a conference and he's this you know like beefy bulked up like dude and i don't know it's just weird and so it just uh it's so connected and i think that's one of the things too that you have to find with n- numeral symbology that these people use to them it's really a big deal they don't the right. on the satanic calendar uh Alistair Crowley's birthday is a revel day correct it's uh, october 12th yep. so they call it crowley like it's a crowley worship day right. i also wrote an article uh, about uh, strange correlations on the false flag terror events, that yeah. how strictly they were, were related to uh, feast days and Crowley days. Like, uh, for example, the coal bombing took place on October 12th. That's Crowley's mm-hmm. birthday. And then you have 9-11, which is the 11th. Uh, you also have the Bali bombings, which took place on October 12th, 2002. These are all fake terror, by the way. The Madrid bombings, which was 3-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 2000. So that's that's 2000. Then you have the 7/7 bombings in 2005 at uh, in London. 
So there's another high, a cold number, 77. And then Amman, Jordan, there was a bombing uh, that killed like uh, 60 people. That was 11-9. So you've got the 9-11 inverted. That was in five. And then the attempted war with Russia. That happened on 2008, 8-8-2008. And that was kind of like almost started a, a global war uh, on the 88th day, uh, or 8-8, which is, you know, how we talked about earlier, the chessboard that symbol of man's knowledge, you know. So all right. of these very important events took place on uh, numerologically significant dates. Right, and then we had just that, that earthquake in Japan was 311. Right. And, I mean, it's weird. All these earthquakes are it's huge. I mean, that earthquake was one of the biggest recorded in history on, uh, on an 11 date. So it's very, very strange. It's unnerving that, you know, I don't know what's, what's going on. Yeah, and and the coast, Japan's actually sunk something like eight feet. Yeah, it's so, amazing. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you know, they're, the, the things are ramping up big time. So let's talk for a little bit about, um, okay, so you have this book, um, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. Correct. And then you've got a DVD of that. Yeah, actually, of- I have two. One is one just basically of all the stuff that I collect on Crowley, I put in a kind of a visual. So that's okay. called Prophet Either Evil, uh, Aleister Crowley. And then uh, I also have the other DVD, which is basically Nicole Hollywood, which goes through uh, a follower of Crowley by the name of Kenneth Anger. It details some of his recent talks about Crowley and uh, there's a direct relationship between Aleister Crowley Ger- to Gerald York, who is one of Crowley's followers, too, who is also a friend of a Kenneth Anger. So uh, these people all have actually mm. a, personal, a personal connection, not just ideological, but these people all uh, all are familiar with each other. Wow. Yeah, Kenneth Anger, I haven't watched any of his films, but I heard they're pretty disturbing. Yeah, he wrote... Uh, some interesting, one was called Lucifer Rising. He, uh, Kenneth Anger has uh, a tattoo of Lucifer on his chest, and uh, oh. Lucifer Rising, all members of the Manson family, this person by the name of Bobby Bouzoulet, who was part of a satanic cult uh, in the late 60s. Right. Uh, he was eventually sent to jail for life for murder, but uh, he was uh, wrote some music for uh, Kenneth Anger. He also, there's the invocation of my demon brother, where Kenneth Anger is sitting in a Crowley-designed magical circle holding a Nazi flag uh, and doing some kind of weird ritual. So these are very heavy-duty, heavy-duty, you know, satanic, at least Anger in particular. Anger was also an associate of Alfred Kinsey, who was the writer of the the so-called sexologist. Well, here's Kenneth Anger doing these so-called experiments with Kinsey and taking Kinsey to... Crowley's Abbey of Philema in Chuckloo, Italy. So, uh, yeah, so I have a picture of that in my book, uh, you know, or my movie about Crowley with a picture of Alfred Kinsey, Kenneth Anger at the Abbey of Philema with a picture of Crowley in the background. Wow. Oh, you know what? You sent me that picture. It must have been a... I remember seeing that now, and I couldn't figure out what I was seeing. It's got a weird shadow in it, too, almost like Nosferatu's there or something. I mean, the, right? Yeah. There's like a shadow between them? 
Yes, that's correct. Okay, that is a weird picture. Where did you find that? Well, I just through research. I mean, I just came right? across it. Uh, yeah, they had. I mean, they were very strange. Anger and Kinsey was a real monster. It's real. It was very, very deviant. I mean, it's scary to think that this guy was describing the sexual mores of a generation. Exactly. Uh, when I was he, say. <gasps> yeah, when he was, uh, you know, just as, about as evil as they come. There's an interesting element uh, to when I when I cult Hollywood film. There's a sequence that I have there from Roman Polanski's uh, movie, uh, which is Rosemary's Baby, where the Rosemary is figuring out that, you know, these people are involved in a witch's coven. So she's reading a book about witches, and her husband's telling her not to worry about it. He takes the book and puts it on top of other books in the bookshelf. Well, to an uninitiated person, it would look very normal. But if you were a Satanist, he takes that book on witchcraft and puts it over a book of Alfred Kinsey and Sammy Davis Jr., who are both Satanists. Uh, so it's almost like he's putting it back in the bookshelf with his brethren. And I show that in my uh, whole Hollywood movie. And uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is an associate of Michael Kino, who has a relationship to uh, Anton LaBay, who has a relationship to the OTO. I mean, it's just these people all are networked. And uh, it's pretty scary. And there, there's the Hollywood connection. So Right. Um, I have a question about that, but um, your website is www.occult911.com. Correct. I'm putting it in the chat room. Because they can get your uh, book and DVDs on, you, they can order them right from that site, right? Right. Or they can get them from Amazon, correct? My books are, uh, both, the only movie that I don't have on Amazon, I don't have my one on Crowley on Amazon yet, but the okay. other ones are are going to be there. My two books are there. You can get it on Kindle or you can get a hard copy. And then the uh, Cold Hollywood is going to be on Kindle probably, I mean, on uh, Amazon probably in the next two weeks. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Because um, I know I What did you say? I'm sorry. I was just working. I'm working on putting it together. Unfortunately, I don't have, I have to work a day job. So, it's hard for me. You know, I do this all my spare time, so right, I try right. to get stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and then um, any uh, do you have a, a release date yet for the the um, Children of the Beast book? Those uh, that were in I'm shooting for summer, so hopefully in about two or three months I'll have it completed. I have most of my outline done. I just have to do some additional research, but I think that the information uh, that uh, people will find in there will show that Crowley influenced a lot more people than they might think, yep. and that uh, the ideological followers of Crowley are not merely, uh, you know, drifting or fading away into the background, but actually kind of gaining steam and really influencing our culture and our next generation uh, in a very scary and, and negative way of, you know, sorcery and witchcraft all lead to evil and, uh, you know, degradation. And uh, it's there's this kind of a siren song for people to get power. But most of the people who follow this path end up, uh, you know, in really a bad state. And Crowley's followers all ended up either drug addicts, committing suicide, going insane, uh, pro ending up prostitutes. Uh, you know, so, you know, followers of Crowley are unfortunately uh, making a really, really bad decision. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, Crowley's end of end of his life, you know, broken, uh, drug-addled, uh, addicted to heroin, um, living in a boarding house, a seedy boarding house, uh, from from what I understand, in London at the end of his life. It blew through 20, yeah, the equivalent of $20 million like it was nothing. And um, yeah. for what? You know, it reminds me of that scripture, um, you know, a profit, profit at the man, nothing to gain the world, but lose his eternal soul. Right. Right. And these people, uh, they're going, they're going to be in a very dark place on Judgment Day, you know, for their for their wicked acts. And, uh, you know, I, don't, I, just, I just think it's disgusting that uh, so many people are being seduced by this, uh, this kind of call to become a magical practitioner, a sorcerer, or, you know, that this is some kind of cool route. So it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty bad. I mean, when you consider, for example, J.K. Rowling, she, her books have influenced millions and millions of kids and people, and she changed her middle name to K, not to a, to a name like Catherine or Katie, but just to K because K is the 11th letter of the alphabet. So she gave herself, yeah, she gave herself a uh, a magical signal, and her references in her books are extremely occultic. She knows a lot about alchemy. She knows a lot about uh, the Are You Serious myth. She knows about Robert Flood, who is uh, another occultist. She puts all these characters into her films, and if you, I mean, into her books, and if you see her films and watch them. The, the, some of the main characters in some of these films look exactly like occultists from the past. There's one who dresses right. exact, exactly like uh, Aleister Crowley. There's another one who dresses just like Rasputin, who was a the Russian kind of the mad monk. Is that the Rick? Yeah, the uh, Rick, um, the guy who played uh, Rasputin in a HBO documentary. Rick, uh, God, I can't think of his name. Is that who? Is yeah. that who that is? Yeah, it's the same guy. His his version okay. of Rasputin is amazing. It's uh, Rick oh, something Waldman or something something. Uh, uh, it's driving me nuts because he was yeah. in he was in Robin Hood too. He played the sheriff of Nottingham. He usually plays like a yeah. bad guy, and um, I can't think of his name right now. But that's yeah, that HBO something, movie of Rasputin was incredible. Richmond. Yeah, his his last name is Richmond, right? Mm. Rickman, Richmond? Rickman, Rickman. That's what it is. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, that's right. Right. Some, so, it's the dyslexia. He's a great actor. I, oh, he's a great actor. My brain does the last name first. <laughs> yeah, but look look who those characters are. A lot of the characters in some of those movies are all the yeah. strangely reminiscent of great uh, occultists or, you know, evil right. occultists from the past. So, yeah. Uh, I know. I just, was a I, mad monk. Really, yeah, at some point I'm really going to read those books and do a full analysis because. You you made it's like that programming the predictive programming or how entertainment actually isn't entertainment it's actually programming people to believe in this stuff and the stuff in Harry Potter there's the the lightning bolt on Harry Potter's forehead, forehead. Harry Potter's name adds up to it's eleven letters you know that there it is mm-hmm. again I mean it's mm-hmm. just all there the owls the magic oh, wand yeah, yeah. And it just keeps going. It's all. It's and Crowley had his own magical implements. If you see my my film on a, a Crowley, I have 
there's actually pictures of magical implements that are from the uh, Golden Dawn that are that are openly displayed at the uh, museum of in London, the London, uh, the British Museum, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, well, the the um the lodge the um uh the high the Masonic Lodge in Washington D.C. has the original copy of um the seven 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 Crowley's uh, Book of the Law excuse me the Book of the Law really? they have the original copy yeah I found that out from Freeman too that's interesting but, I have yeah. I have taken excerpts from the original copy written in Crowley's own writing. In uh, my movie. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. I think you'll find uh, some of um, Freeman's older stuff, he'll, some of his older interviews, to be a real plethora of breadcrumbs, let's just say. Um, well, I think... I, he definitely is a magician. He's playing out, he's talked to both sides of his mouth. Yep. And uh, he's talked about things that Robert Anton Wilson, who was a follower of Crowley and a friend of Timothy Leary, yeah, uh, he was part of something called the Discordian Mute Movement, which is very arcade uh, group. And Freeman Fly talked about Discordianism uh, as an insider, not an outsider. So he's definitely uh, okay. Discordianism is like a, a doctrine of chaos where yep. you tell truth and lies at the same time, and mm-hmm. people don't know anything. But they you know they they can't really get to the truth through that kind of wall of confusion. I actually so, have a yeah, friend yeah. who who uh, came out of uh, Discordianism and Mormonism, and he's um born again believer now, born again Christian. But um, I had yeah. never heard of Discordianism before, so I had yeah. A, the, that's how you know Freeman Fly is a, it knows a lot more than he's saying because he references Discordianism without ever explaining it. Mm-hmm. So you know a lot of these guys are all the same: Disarian, Jordan Maxwell, Freeman Fly. Yeah, all guys who are playing both sides of the fence. If not playing and in playing both sides of the fence and confusing the issue, they're actually engaging in more in chaos and Luciferianism than anything else. And most of their works are those guys are all liars. They they tell half yep. truths. So uh, half truths. You have to yep. really watch out. Yeah, you have to yeah. really watch out. I agree. And again, I had found him at the very tail end of my my new, you know, my new age pagan life, you know, um, and so, you know, but I, well, you know, I didn't come to a lot of these conclusions without, you know, learning from other people. So for me, a lot of my positions are through trial and error of, of listening to disinformation. Like I listened, when I first came across Maxwell, I really studied him and I took him at face value. You know, I didn't, uh, really put a critical ear. Now, you know, through people like Chris White or other uh, people who really analyze his work, it's like, oh, yeah. so this guy's he's one of them. He's one of those magicians. And the way that these guys lie is different than, you know, uh, somebody who's an obvious liar. They they create myths. So they actually put together, uh, you know, very complex, ornate myths where to, to, to control and deceive other people. And uh, you see that same type of uh, behavior in people like L. Ron Hubbard or, you know, these, these people who have no problem using mind control. And mind control is a very vast, you know, broad doctrine, but it's always a handmaiden to Satanism. When somebody's a really hardcore Luciferian, they don't have any uh, problem, uh, you know, using uh, mind control on other people. Right. 
Definitely. I definitely agree. Um, you know, I too used to take these people at, at face value and then, you know, um, now I think Jordan Maxwell is one of the creepiest people I have ever seen in, in my life. And, you know, he's living in somebody's tool shed in a back, somebody's backyard right now. I didn't know that. He's in LA LA somewhere, right? Yep. He's lost everything. So once again... Well, I know that he was... he was prosecuted for selling stuff over the internet by the FCC for uh, engaging in fraud, and right. I've, I've seen a copy of that lawsuit. So, you know, this is not if he's a shifting random people over the internet. Uh, you know, it gives you some indicated indication of his real moral character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have to be wary of these these people. Spewing like Tassarian as well. Boy, is he slick? Tassarian's slick. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's the whole thing. These guys have perfected their techniques over years. You know, they do not. Oh, yeah. They do not first-time liars. It's just like, it's just like Dianetics and uh, mm-hmm. you know, a guy like L. Ron mm-hmm. Hubbard. He he starts off with you know very reasonable, sensible positions, and then the you know he starts twisting the screws in. And next thing you know, you're a mind-controlled slave in his organization, you know? Right. that's the way all these guys are, you know? Right. And, you know, Tessarian, when I was first listening to him, I didn't realize that the Bible verses he was using in three-quarters of one of his presentations were all twisted. I I didn't... I didn't realize it at the time, and, you know, I saw him debunked on one of the um, Christian um, channels that I that I go to to get videos and stuff, and um, I watched the debunking thing, and they were taking those scriptures that Tessarian was using in his slide presentation a few years back, and, you know, putting them side by side with what it really says in the Bible, and not one of them that he used was correct. He had twisted it. He had left a word out. He had whatever. And, you know, like I said, he's just one of these guys that's, you know, the way he talks and and the way he looks is just, you know, like pretty slick, you know. But anybody that has a a tarot card website to teach you how to live your life through learning the tarot, you know that's not not good. He has all the markers of he has all the markers of Crowleyanism. He has all that myth. He's written a lot. He's very egocentric. He's bisexual. Oh, yeah. He's in the oh. he's in the tarot. Yeah, oh. they caught him. She caught him soliciting for uh, other other men and women. And he placed that he said he was bisexual on some site. So that's my uh, understanding. Very well, much you know, Crowley. yes, that's black magic always involves bisexuality always. And it always involves extremely perverted sex. Right. And and Crowley was just off the charts in his perversions, and I include those in my books. I don't recommend uh, reading my book uh, on a full stomach or, you know, without properly prepping yourself spiritually. You know, you really want to pray up, as one of the hosts uh, I was on stated very aptly, that, you know, you don't want to... Uh, Read it, but Crowley's, and I, I tried to, I, you know, I, I, I was hesitant about putting it all in there, but I think it's important to see how evil these people, perverse these people were. I mean, Crowley was right. off the charts perverse. So, you know, so, some people don't believe that that human beings are like that, and they're really mistaken because there is a dark 
people can go to a very dark place, and that's why we have crazies like Hitler or mass murderers like Jeffrey Dahmer and, you know, these all these people. And the weird, you know, even mass, a lot of the, uh, you know, serial killers, they usually, there's a lot of occultism there. They all, all oh, have yeah. very, you know, there's a lot of people who are into black magic who do that, and they have the same kind of characteristics, you know, so uh, you have to really be careful. Yep, I agree. For people, I, not you, but all of us, myself included. Oh. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Um, you know, you need to be very well prayed up and, and covered in the blood. And because if these, if, you know, if you start researching that, the Satan's a legalist. And if he feels that you're opening some kind of a crack or a, a legal loophole, so to speak, to come and torment you, send his, you know, demonic minions in to torment you because you've opened a, you know, a window, a crack. Um, he will. So very important to, you know, um, pray up first and, you know, and to, to know that the only reason that you're you're looking at this is because it's intel on the enemy. And in any battle, you need to know your enemy. Um, you know, I, and I think that's really important. So um, a lot of, oh, Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah. Uh do you I'm sure you he's know an he's an absolute Crowley follower. He quotes Crowley's opinion on magic verbatim. All of his uh stuff is suffused with Crowleyanism, Crowleyism. Yep. And uh he's a, he's essentially an open magician. I mean he says he is, so Oh yeah. He's a new open. I don't know. He's definitely putting that vibe out there for sure. Oh no, he has a picture of himself in front of a throne with the two snakes intertwined with the um, you know, symbol of the, the egg in between them or whatever, the the caduceus, the sort of stylized caduceus or whatever, or actually old-fashioned caduceus. He's in front of a throne. He has a bunch of uh numerical uh, well, numbers and symbols like Anakian type symbols around him. He wears all these weird rings. He's definitely blatantly Yes, Crowleyan, Luciferian, whatever you want to call it, Alan Moore, definitely. And Alan Moore is behind the movie um, V for Vendetta. Right. And which also has significant 11s in there, and there's there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, there's yep. direct quotes of Crowley, and, you know, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. The book yep. has a lot in there. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, I'm going to encourage everybody to get your book, uh, your DVD, or your book and your DVDs. Um, I, you know, am looking forward to to getting both of them myself. Um, and uh, I sort of, my husband sort of gives me a, a kind of a monthly budget to do that with, and I, you know, try to. Um, it goes first to the people that you know I've interviewed and and who who've come on my show and that sort of thing. So. Um, April, you know, hopefully in April I'll be I'll be able to get your stuff. I actually did try. I remember I did try to get your stuff already, but I I don't know for some reason Google wouldn't let me. They're like, no, I'm sorry, you don't yeah. exist. <laughs> so they can't do it with the browser. So for some reason the browsers oh. don't. If they go and use Google Chrome, they can people can get it. But if they use uh, if they use Microsoft, it doesn't work. I don't I don't know why. Okay. Okay. 
Um, yeah, so then I remember I asked you, are you going to put your stuff on Amazon? Because, you know, I had tried to get it, and I think I was. I was probably using Explorer when I tried to order it, and it just wasn't, you know, um, copacetic with me. So anyway, but, um, so yeah, I, I am sending it. It'll all be on Amazon in time when I, I just, it just takes, it's a harder process than I anticipated. But I'm learning. For, I am learning. Right. And then, like you said, you have a day job. Um so that's, you know, I mean, you can't spend all your time doing that. So we have 60 seconds left. Please go ahead and give um, a final thought and your website or whatever you would like to do. Thank you very much for being on the show, William. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. It was great. I love talking with you. You're very knowledgeable. It's just awesome. You know, it went fast for me. So I Thanks. learned some stuff on this show too. So I appreciate your insight about Lapoli. So. I'm going to uh, definitely research that. But just to finalize, uh, I do believe that we are in a spiritual battle, and uh, the best thing for everybody to do is, uh, you know, uh, respect the, the writings of the Gospels and the, and the true uh, Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's my testimony. Yep. And, uh, you know, if you're scared about these things, they are scary, uh, uh, you know, pray. And, you know, the peace that surpasses all understanding will be with you from heaven, and uh, I wish all of you the best. Thanks again. Thank you. Good night. Good night.